following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up your Bible or electronic device that has a Bible on it. Uh, We are in Exodus, the second book of the Bible, and we are in uh, chapter 12, excuse me. Um, As uh, I went back to uh, my pew, that's how you know you've gone to this church a while. It's your pew, right? Um, Not to mention any names, but Stephen Varner taps me on the shoulder, and he says, it feels like we've been in Exodus for 40 years. (laughs) That's funny. Um, I don't know if that was a compliment or what, but um, we are in Exodus 12, and we're going to look at uh, the first 28 verses of Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to do something that pastors shouldn't do, and that is I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, I want you to think um, about the first Passover. Think of it like you're a child, you're a Hebrew child. And your father has already come into the house with a lamb that was slain. And he roasts the lamb over the open fire. I want you to just just, uh, imagine, if you would, that smell, uh, the meat that is roasting. And as you look up, you can see on the sides of the door of your house, there's blood that is dripping from the sides and the top. The lamb that was slain, the blood that was on the, on the lamb is now on the door. And your father told you about an angel of death. He's going to come and he's going to kill the firstborn in every single house. And you and your siblings are sitting around and you're kind of nervous and, and you don't know what to expect. And you're a little bit afraid, but your father says, do not fear The Lord is with us. The Lord has told us that he will pass over these doors that are marked by blood. Imagine, if you will, in your mind that you are fully dressed. There's sandals on your feet and there is uh, some little knickknacks, if you will, next to you from your whole family. And your whole family is fully dressed because your father has told you that when this plague comes, we leave. And there's anxiety and you can still smell the roasted lamb and you can still see the blood on the door and you have your family members who are anxious for this exile. On the table, there is a meal with bitter herbs and bread, and there's bread with no yeast. And just after midnight, you can hear it. You can hear an echo in your ears, a cry that goes out through the entire land of Egypt. Mothers who are wailing for their children, livestock that is dead. And your father tells you, open your eyes. It's time to go. 
That's the story of Exodus, this is Passover. And it's important for us to remember, if you look in Exodus chapter 12, Passover is important because Israel's slavery in the Old Testament text is a picture for us as believers of Jesus in the new. They were slaves in the Old Testament, and we are or were slaves to sin. And now we've been delivered by Jesus Christ and his blood that was shed on the cross. And all of the Old Testament Passover is going to point to this New Testament Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus is said to be our Passover who was sacrificed for us. And so this week we are going to make the declaration that if you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, this is the time. Because the day is approaching. Whoever trusts in Christ receives salvation. Whoever does not will not be passed over. And so there's joy for us in salvation. And so if you would, Casey, go to the next slide. The main kind of thrust this morning is that we're going to try to build a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament on this this Passover. How does this Passover uh, deal with us in the New Testament as believers? How does this this bridge connect, if you will? Well, let's look at the first six verses in Exodus chapter 12. The Lord said to Moses, if you remember our story in Exodus, Moses is our leader who was reluctant at the start, and then um, through a little bit of persuasion, he is going to uh, lead the people out of slavery. Aaron, his relative, is with him as well. And they're in the land of Egypt. Egypt is in ruins, if you will, for lack of a better word. Verse 2. This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel, that's a lot of people, That on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for the household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of the persons, according to what each can eat. And you shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. And you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month. God's pretty specific here. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So let's look at these fundamental elements of Passover as we build this bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The first fundamental element that we have is that there is a lamb that is needed in order to be slain. God told Moses about this lamb, but look at it in the text. He says, I also want to tell you about the time. Passover, calendar-wise, is going to mark a new age in Israel's history. So they're going to have a new calendar. It's, a, it's really a fresh start. Like, the slate is going to be wiped clean. You're going to get a new identity, we learn in the Bible, as God's favored people. Now, if you want to underline a couple of things as we study the text together, congregation uh, was to observe Passover on the 10th day. That's after the new moon. It's a famous day because the ancient calendar divided months into three parts, each section covering 10 days. So Passover, the 10th day, is on this month or the first month in Israel's religious calendar. Now you can go ahead and underline this month too because this is called a bib, which means fresh young ears, a reference to the barley that was going to be harvested. Now, in the Jewish calendar, we see months are combined. So we have six instead of 12. We have March, April for a bib. 
Now, after Israel's taken into captivity, this is later in the biblical text, four out of the 12 months were given Babylonian names. So Abib changed to Nisan, not Nisan, like the cars you drive. Okay? And then we see that the date and the time are, are settled. And now, go to the next one, Casey. The first detail of the ceremony is going to be in place. Look at verse three. You need a lamb. You're gonna need a lamb. Old Testament, you need a lamb. New Testament, you need a lamb. Both covenants or promises of God say that we need a lamb. On the 10th day of the month, again, that's March, April, each Israelite family, not one person, but one family was to select a lamb or a goat, and a lamb can either mean a young sheep or goat. And if the family was small, guess what? You get to share, right? That's a good biblical principle to teach your kids that you should share. It starts here, right? Now, that lamb needs to be clean. According to Deuteronomy 14, as well as Numbers 15, this is with the Old Testament law. Hang with me. And it should be without blemish. There's the first pointing to Jesus, the Messiah. We'll get there in a second. The lamb was to be kept. Notice you pull something sacred out and you keep it separate from that which is unsacred. So we're going to keep this lamb away from all the others. And then we're going to kill it four days later on the 14th at twilight between sunset and dark about 3 to 5 p.m. Why? Two reasons. One, this allows more time for slaughtering and preparing the animal, which is going to happen later for the sacrifices in the sanctuary. But two, it made it a time of family worship. After everything is over, after everything is transpired, this is why I think you should eat dinner at 5 o'clock. Okay, we're going to have family worship. I'm reminded of a story. There was a pastor who finished preaching, and one of his parishioners comes up to him, and he tells him that he doesn't like his sermons. Can you imagine that? If you do that to me, it's game on. And he looks at him, and he says, why? Why, why don't you like my, my sermons? What's, what's the matter with them? They're biblical. They're from the Bible. And the parishioner thought it would be better if the pastor talked about Jesus being an example and a teacher instead of dying on the cross. He essentially looked at the pastor. He says, all you talk about is death. I don't come here to hear about death and dying all the time. I come here to be encouraged. <laughs> so, poor pastor, right? So he asked the man. He says, okay, I'll make you a deal. If I start preaching Jesus as an example, would you accept him? <laughs> Prisoner says, yeah, absolutely, 100%. And he says, okay, well, if that's the case, the first step in following Jesus is that you have to be perfect and not sin. The man looks at him, he says, that's impossible. And pastor says, then your first need of Christ is not as an example. He has to be a savior. You need something to be slain. So we have to talk about Jesus dying before we can talk about what he does in our lives. When we think about this Old Testament passage and the New Testament Christ, we remember the Old Testament lamb points forward to Jesus to be slain. Christ's death was absolutely necessary. It is not the life Christ lived by to which we are redeemed. It is Christ's death that we are redeemed in. He is the lamb that was slain. Now, let's look at two verses. Number one, look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22. Indeed, everything, New Testament, under the law, Old Testament, is purified with blood, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. The Old Testament people knew that this was a temporary sacrifice that would point to an eternal, permanent sacrifice. One more, Revelation chapter 5, verse 12. They will say, worthy is the lamb who was, 
to receive honor and power and glory and wisdom and might and blessing. You need a lamp. Now keep going. Verse 7, all right? Then, chapter 12, verse 7, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the doorposts. I can imagine the little kids wanted to participate in this. And the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh at night, roasted on the fire, with the unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Don't eat any of it raw like the pagans do, or boil it in water, but roast it, its head, with its legs and inner parts. God's getting more specific. You shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until morning, you shall not uh, eat it. You should burn it. Verse 11. In this manner, this is how you should eat it. With your belt fastened and your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. In other words, you, you eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I don't know how I missed that when I was a kid. I always thought it was just humans, but look, it says beasts. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will ex execute judgments. Now, it's a strong case to be said that the gods of Egypt are the idols in which the people worshiped. I am the Lord, Yahweh, the living God. 13, the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will, there it is, pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Verse 14, this day shall be a memorial for you. And you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. And a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Second fundamental element. You need to eat. Praise the Lord that he lets us eat, right? I mean, this, we're good at this, right? Amen? <laughs> I love it. All right. Look at verse 7. Notice the only way out is through a door that is marked with blood. When you left your father, you leave through the door. You have to go through the door. Now, picture Jesus' words in John 14, 6. I am the way. You have to go through me. This action requires families in the Old Testament to have faith and to trust God's words that were given to Moses. The principle is clear. Genuine faith is obedient faith. If you are simply just reading the words on the page and putting them in your mind, you do not have true faith. True faith trickles down your brain and into your heart, and it's lived out in obedience. This is words in action. Notice, the blood was shed before the people ate, and then God gives the second and third details of the ceremony. Number two, you're going to eat 8 through 11. So we got a feast here. Every Israelite home, right? And why? Because it promotes synchronized worship. You ever think about that? Like when you read your Bible in the morning, right? You ever think about all the other believers that are reading their Bible in the morning? When you pray in your car on your commute to work, wouldn't that be nice to know if your coworkers are also praying as well? This is synchronized worship that helps all of Israel bond together as a single community with blood on the door frames and the rest of the animal meat roasted. The people ate meat with bitter herbs. Why? It symbolizes two things. Number one, sorrow and grief. And two, their experience of being oppressed in Egypt. I remember the last time we did the Seder meal uh, on Thursday. This was last year. 
and uh, all the kids, you have like a, like a horseradish sauce, right? And so what we did is we're like, you go ahead and you take this, right? And, and it's bitter. And I watched one student, I won't mention any names, but what they did was they took the whole thing in their mouth and we heard throughout the whole entire gym, oh, this is horrible. <laughs> and I thought, so is your sin, right? And so is your slavery, the bread without yeast symbolizes the Israelites leaving in a hurry. Now, don't miss this. There's so many Old Testament, New Testament connotations. The meat was to be roasted because pagans ate raw meat. We don't act like pagans. The key passage is that the people were to eat the entire meal quickly while dressed and ready to go. This is almost exactly like the full armor of God in Ephesians. There are so many parallels here from the Old Testament to the New Testament. When we come to Christ, we have our loins girded. In other words, we are ready to go. Your shoes are tied. As a matter of fact, don't even wear tied shoes. Wear Velcro shoes, right? Because you can do it faster. You got to get out quickly, not be involved in this world. You cannot be converted and continue to live in a sinful life. That's the meaning of the text. This doesn't mean that you won't sin occasionally, but it does mean that you shouldn't make a habit of sinning. So let me just ask you a question. If Jesus came right now, right? Let's just say the world's on fire. What would you grab? Would you grab anything? Or would you just be like, let's go? Because we have to ask ourselves if we're ready to get out of Egypt. Now, here, watch this. The third thing. If you eat the lamb, right? And if you eat the meal, you're going to watch God move in mighty ways. As if he didn't already. That was what cracks me up. Look at verse 12 and 13. After the Israelites eat the Passover lamb, the herbs, the bread, God said at midnight he would move, he'd kill the firstborn son and every animal in the Egyptian family. The purpose of this plague is twofold. One, to bring judgment on all of the gods of Egypt. Again, I said it uh, before, but gods of Egypt are the idols that people had set up in place of the living God. He's going to destroy all those. Number two, it's going to show that he is the only living God. I have it underlined twice in my Bible. It says, I am the Lord. Remember, Pharaoh declared that he didn't know Moses is God, but you're going to know him now, right? Here comes a catastrophic plague. Now, remember, the sprinkled blood on the Israelites' houses provided protection from death when God destroyed the Egyptians' firstborn. From the verb Passover in Hebrew comes the noun that designated the feast, the Passover. So what? Well, just as the blood of the animal was a means of temporary deliverance and escaping death, Christ's blood is the means of redemption for believers. Paul speaks about this in Romans chapter 5, verse 9, where he says, Since therefore we have now been justified by what? His, say it, blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. There is life in the blood. We know that that's true. One more passage in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. It says, In him we have redemption through his, say it, blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You can't access grace if you don't stand under his blood. So while the Passover was to be observed annually for generations, we ask ourselves, go to the next one, how are we as believers to remember the Passover today? Because I'm not an Israelite, right? Like, so what? Am I supposed to put blood on my door? Like, how does this look? We'll go to the next one. We are commanded by Jesus to observe the Lord's Supper. 
There is a parallel between the Exodus in the Old Testament and the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. I should have probably preached this last week because we took communion last week. But communion replaces the Passover feast. How do we know? If you remember the story in the New Testament, Jesus died at Passover time as the new Passover lamb. It is only through Christ that believers are delivered from the power of sin and Satan. Jesus ate with his disciples at the Last Supper during Passover. You think that's a coincidence? There are no coincidences with God. He institutes a memorial of his death. The Lord's Supper or communion is designed to symbolize that Christ and his blood was an atonement or forgiveness for sin. It is a declaration that you can have fellowship with God through faith in Christ. It is a call to examine how you are walking and what you are living for. It is a call to remain thankful for the salvation that you have received. It is an embracing of the hope that is to come. If we understand Exodus properly and we get to the communion table and we understand that properly, we are overjoyed about the awesome power of our God in the salvation of our sins. We thank God that we get to celebrate communion as believers. Now, watch this. We're going to skip 14 to 26 for time, okay? It's also a different sermon for a different day. And focus on verse 27. You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Egypt, of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but he spared our houses. Now, I love this. This is, this is a key passage in Scripture. This is amazing. The people bowed their heads and worshipped. And then the people of Israel went and did so. Let me read that to you again, because this is rare in Israel's history. The people bowed their heads and worshiped, and the people of Israel went and did so. They did exactly as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. Now notice, look at, at, here's where the application really starts to come full circle. There is obedience in worship. We skipped 15 through 20, because it's about the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is another sermon for another day. And in verse 21 through 26, Moses gives the exact same instructions that God gave uh, to the elders and people. And we highlight this passage because it sums up how Israel kept the Passover. It says they did it exactly as they had been instructed. So what? A great salvation should always prompt reverence and worship. A great salvation should always prompt reverence and worship. And my question in studying this passage of scripture is I said, what is worship? If you look at that word worship and you circle it, at the core here, it means that you bow down and prostrate oneself in humble reverence. It is the swallowing of your pride to change your position. Last night, Bethany and I were at a senior recital at Grace, and um, the student that was given the senior recital, she said something that was really interesting, and she said, it is when we are willing to remove how we look so that the loving God would be adored. 
And I thought to myself, am I, am I like that? Would I, would I do that? Am, am I willing to exchange my position so that God would get the glory that he so rightfully deserves? In the Septuagint, which is just the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the word worship means that they fell down and they were uh, in adoration of God. Genesis chapter 24, verse 26 says, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. In Psalm chapter 95, verse 6, it says, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And well, worship means we change our posture it also means we change our position from disobedient to obedient. And I have to constantly ask myself, am I really, truly being obedient to the Lord? Now, church, I love you. You are near and dear to my heart, and we are about to go on a journey in this book called Exodus. And it is extremely convicting. Because when we look at what the Lord requires, we realize just how much we fall short of those qualities. But in a relationship with God through faith in Christ, his spirit is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask or imagine. The people could only go so far and then faith kicked in. Think of it like Mary when she poured perfume on Jesus' feet. Bob Coughlin, who's a worship leader that my wife loves, I don't think she loves him more than me, but sometimes I'm, I'm curious He says that Christian worship is the response of God's redeemed people to his self-revelation that exalts God's glory in Christ in our minds. It exalts God's glory in our wills and in the power of our spirit. I think about it like this. How many times in my everyday walk have I been embarrassed to change my posture so that my position would change and Christ's position would increase. As Paul says, he must decrease and I must, or, or I must decrease and he must increase. William Temple, who's an old soul, says it like this. He says, worship is the most selfish emotion of which our nature is capable. And therefore, it is the chief remedy for the self-centeredness that is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. If Christ is our Passover lamb and his blood covers our sin, we have to ask ourselves, where in my life am I not bowing down and giving him what he deserves? Where am I not seeking the other person's best? Where am I selfish in my relationship with my spouse? Where am I wanting my kid's adoration instead of God's adoration? Where am I seeking my next promotion at work instead of promoting the work of Christ? We have to ask ourselves, if Jesus' blood really covers our sins, then why do we stay in our sins? Paul says it like this, should we continue to sin so that grace would abound? And the answer to that is by no means. And so the questions that I'm asking, that I'm just asking you to ask, is are we striving to do all the Lord has commanded and all we think, say, and do? This takes discipline. This is when we pick up our phone and we want to go to the sources that have all the media that just meet our, our saturated sinful life. And instead, we should shut those down. This is the times when we get in conversations and we say, I won't do this. I won't gossip about this person. I won't say negative things about this person. Instead, I will promote unity. Do we come to the Lord trying to justify our sin? Or are we asking for forgiveness and asking God to help us to be obedient to all of his word, all of his ways, striving to worship in all we think, say, and do? 
Because I think sometimes when I ask for forgiveness for sin, I'm asking God, would you be okay if I justified it and kept going in it? And he says, no, by, by no means. The blood of Christ is the removal of sin. The goal is the people of God is to bow down and worship and change your position and do all that God has commanded. Passover is important. Old Testament picture for New Testament believers. Jesus, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Jesus is our Passover who was sacrificed for us. And so if you would do me a favor, would you, would you just close your eyes one more time? And if you could, would you picture not an earthly father, but a heavenly father? Whispering in your ear, do you trust in my son's perfect shed blood? Do you trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ who came, who died, and who rose again? There can be no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. The first step is always a step to change posture from pride to humility. And if you are here today and you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ, then the key is repentance. It is as simple as saying to the living God, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe that Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross was for me. And maybe that's the first time you've ever prayed that prayer. Say, God, I know I'm a sinner. I repent of that sin. I trust Christ's blood that was shed on the cross. I don't know all the specifics of it. I don't know all the details of it. I, I just know that, you're, that, that, that it that works. And I ask that you would help me in faith to not only believe, but also to continue to put my faith and trust in this. As we're going to talk next week about the man who doubts. Heavenly Father, there are so many people here who claim to know you as Lord and Savior, and yet our lives do not look like Christ. And Heavenly Father, we need your help so that we can have joy of salvation, so that we can be excited about leaving the things of Egypt. We need you to pry our fingers off of the things of this world. We need your help, God, so that we can be children who put our constant, continual trust in the lamb that was slain. As Jesus told people who he healed on earth, go and sin no more. You're calling us to do the same. And you as the people of God, hear your heavenly father's voice this morning saying, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. I will not leave you. I will not abandon you. Trust in me. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.